0: Good morning, I am um, very happy to be with you uh, this morning, I am here uh, preaching and Father Tripp is out at the church plant preaching and um, it's good for him um, to be out there and it's good for me to be here, so I'm thankful um, to be with you all this morning, I bring greetings from my family and I'm um, just excited to, to come and to reflect on the epiphany with you all this morning. Um, many of you might know this, maybe, maybe your heads are not filled with useless trivia like mine, um, but in case you were wondering, the state motto for California is Eureka! Eureka! I've got it! Or I've found it! Now you can guess why this is the state motto of California. It is likely what was uttered by those first gold rushers when they discovered gold, Eureka! I've got it. I've found it. They had an aha moment that they had been to California and they were going to strike it rich. The season of Epiphany is actually a series of Eurekas, a series of aha moments in the life of Jesus, moments where um, either a character in the story or us as readers have a, have a revelation, an aha, this is something significant, this is something important, this is something about who Jesus is. It's an aha moment about this man, Jesus, who was born a babe in a manger and is growing into something that many people do not quite understand. It's an aha moment, an epiphany, it literally means Manifestation. And for the earliest Christians, the early church, um, this epiphany moment that we read about today, the coming of the Magi to worship the Christ child, was perhaps one of the biggest aha moments in all of Scripture. In fact, the feast that celebrated the epiphany for centuries was a far greater celebration and holiday than even Christmas for the early church. It was second probably only to Easter. It is a huge eureka moment that these magi would come, that, that of all the people God would reveal His Messiah to, it would be lowly shepherds and, and pagan wise men from the east. And they journeyed to see Jesus and it marks one of the biggest eureka moments in all of Scripture. So what I want us to do this morning is actually to keep that text in the back of our mind, but I want us to, to reflect on Ephesians and what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Because the, the key thing of this aha moment that the Gentiles will be invited to come see Jesus is the realization that God's Messiah is not just for the Jewish people. That was huge. That that God has sent His Son, His Messiah, born of a Jewish woman, to be the Messiah and the Savior for the whole world. And so the coming of the Magi is just—it's an illustration of this reality that Gentiles are going to have access to the promises of God. And in Ephesians, Paul is reflecting on this. He's reflecting on the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles. He actually calls it a mystery. For him, it's a mystery that's been, that's been hidden through the ages and now revealed through the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at Ephesians. We're in chapter 3. Beginning at the first verse, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, I certainly recommend you open it up. We're going to be looking at a a few verses that that highlight what Paul is saying here. Chapter 3, beginning at the first verse, if you have a a Bible, it's it's Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. If you get to Philippians, Colossians or Thessalonians or Timothy or Titus, you've gone too far. You need to go back. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 1, and the first thing um, Paul's going to show us or tell us is is what is this mystery? Precisely, what is this manifestation that that we're talking about? We'll explain what it is. Other thing we're going to do is we're going to see the significance of this mystery in God's cosmic plan. But first, Paul has to set the stage for us, and the reality is that he is in prison. Look at verse 1 there. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then it's like this full stop. Wait a second. Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. so, So what's happening? So Paul is in prison. He has been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Now, if you were a follower of Paul, a member of one of his early churches, and you got word that your leader was in prison, that would be devastating. It would be absolutely devastating. Imagine how you would be mocked by your surrounding community. Oh, you go to Paul's church? How can you go there? Imagine the, the, just the, the mocking and the ostracism that would come with that. But even, even then, perhaps... You begin to question what Paul ever taught you, right? Well, he's in jail. He's just spent two chapters teaching us about God's grace and God's mercy, about God's sovereignty and how he's ruling and controlling all things, about how this sovereign God has saved us by grace and given us good works to do on this earth, not by any any working of our own heart, but by God's Holy Spirit. Paul has laid all these things out and now he's in prison? And you're thinking, how could any of that be true? How can can God allow His servant to go to prison if he really is sovereign and trustworthy? And so they're questioning this, and Paul realizes it, and so what he does is he's writing a sentence, and he has a full stop. and There's no delete button, it's an old papyrus, and so he just stops, interrupts himself on paper, and he says, wait a second, let me reassure you. Let me reassure you that my imprisonment, what we're going to see, is for your glory. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It is something to be glorified in. So he's in prison. And he uses and he expounds upon this manifestation to the Gentiles, this great mystery. He uses that to reassure his people. It's a pastoral concern. So what then is this reassuring mystery? Well, let's look at verse 6. The answer is very clear right there. This mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles. In, in, in Jewish worldview, in, in those days, there were two types of people. There were Jewish people the people of God, the ethnic descendants of Abraham and any converts that have come in, there were Jewish people and the other, the other set of people were Gentile people. They were not Jewish. They were pagan. They were Greek. They were Roman. They were Persian. They were, some of them were oppressors. Some of them were occupying the Jewish land. They were very much not Jewish. In fact, many of them were probably considered enemies of the Jewish people. And so here's the mystery, that these Gentiles are fellow heirs. What's that? They're fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. The Gentiles and the Jews are members of the same body, not different ones. They are partakers of the promise. What promise? Maybe the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, the promise to the prophets, all of these great treasured prof- promises of the Old Testament, Paul is saying the Gentiles get to share in them. How is this possible? This doesn't happen naturally. You know how hard it is to get even moderately disagreeing people to enjoy each other's company. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But he says it very clearly. All these things are true when they are in Christ Jesus. How? Through the gospel. When they are in Christ, when they are united under one head, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when they have had faith that Jesus Christ has died for our salvation, that He has taken the curse of our disobedience, the curse of our sinfulness on His shoulders, that we might be brought into the kingdom of God, that we might be given life eternal. When we have f- placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that He is defeating evil, He is defeating death, and He is restoring all of creation, then it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile or black or white or Republican or Democrat, you are all united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the great mystery for the ages. That Paul says through the Holy Spirit it has been given to him to proclaim. It's the mystery he proclaimed to the Gentiles and Jews in Ephesus. If you read those first two chapters, it's all about how God and his grace can bring anybody together. Anybody. And so this mystery, this unification under the Messiah of all who believe in him through his death and resurrection is revealed, what we'll see, in the church. And you might be thinking, the church? I've heard some things about the church throughout history. The church has not always been on its best behavior, and and you're right, it hasn't. The church has been an amazing force throughout the centuries and it's also been a divisive one because the church is made up of diverse, complicated, and sinful people. And the reality is that despite these things, God brings His people together. He unites us under the headship of Christ. He forgives us time and time again so that we could make this mystery known to the world. That despite our differences, despite our shortcomings... We've received the grace of God. We have a story to tell and a message to proclaim and we do this together. The mystery is revealed in the church. So that's the mystery. This uniting of God's people under His Messiah, Jesus, despite their imperfections and their sinfulness that they might proclaim the gospel. What is the significance then? are the consequences of this? Look at verses 10 and 11. This mystery has been made known so that through the church, the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is a cosmic consequence for this revelation, this mystery, this Um, epiphany of the Jews and Gentiles coming together. They're cosmic consequences. So first, let's break this verse down a little bit. Through the church, through this coming together of God's people, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. What is the wisdom of God? Well, if you were to read 1 Corinthians, you would see um, Paul expounding upon the wisdom of God. and He says a couple things about it. He says, first, the wisdom of God is actually foolishness. To the Jewish people. I mean to the Gentiles. is foolishness. And it's a stumbling block to the Jewish people. The wisdom of God which is revealed to us on the cross. Is foolishness and a stumbling block. It's foolishness to the Gentiles. Because they would say. How can anybody. Of any consequence. Be crucified. Like a common criminal. That's foolish. For the Jewish people. This wisdom of God is a stumbling block. Because how could God's Messiah be crucified? If your Messiah gets crucified, you probably need to find a new Messiah, right? It's foolishness, it's a stumbling block, but for us, for those who would believe, for those who would believe in Jesus Christ, that would receive his death and would receive his resurrection, for us, this wisdom of God is the power of salvation. This wisdom of God is the kingdom. It's Jesus reigning on the throne. It's Jesus coming back to restore the world's to rights. The the wisdom of God, which looks so foolish on the cross, is the hope of the whole world. So that through the church, this wisdom of God might be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's not just, we're not just here to make God's grace and mercy and glory be known to the people around us. We are here for that. But this is actually a witness to the heavenly realm, to the rulers and the authorities, to Satan himself, that God is glorious and sovereign and will not be defeated. The wisdom of God is a message. That Christ is seated on his throne and reigning and will redeem all things. And it is made manifest in the church, in us, in you, in me, in the people of God. And so, what does that mean? Well, it gives us a divine purpose. Corporately and personally, it gives us a divine purpose. Look at verse 11 now, or 13, excuse me. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul looks at his suffering and he says, this is for your glory. This is for the glory of God. How can this be? Well, if the wisdom of God is made manifest on a cross, the wisdom of God and the glory of God is made manifest in suffering, then How much more should we be prepared to suffer to reveal the glory of Christ? That's what Paul is saying. I am revealing God's glory through my suffering. And so my suffering is for your glory. Our suffering is for God's glory. And so the reality is that as followers of Christ, we probably should expect to suffer. There's no problem we should expect to suffer we will suffer. Now, we know Christians around the world who are suffering significantly more than we are, who are killed and persecuted for their faith. But that doesn't that doesn't lessen the fact that believing in Jesus more and more is a cause to be mocked in this world. It's a cause to be outcast. It's a cause to suffer. And just as God's grace doesn't discriminate, neither does suffering. It's going to happen to all of us. Even death and evil, as they still wreak havoc in this world, we will suffer in the midst of that. And yet we take heart, right? Do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Do not lose heart over your suffering, over your pain, over the death of a loved one. Do not lose heart in the grace and mercy of God over the suffering in your own heart as you struggle with constant and repeated sin. Do not lose heart because God is good and graceful and he has made this coming together through the grace of Jesus for his glory. And so we are called then as a church and as individuals to have cross-shaped lives. That's how the wisdom of God will be revealed through lives that are humble for lives that endure, for lives that suffer and yet still proclaim the goodness and grace and mercy of God, for lives that sacrifice for others either in the church but also in the world around us. And So this is a great aha moment in the life of the church that Jew and Gentile would be brought together under the cross of Christ and that we would come into that as brothers and sisters in Jesus that in the midst of this world we would be a beacon of God's light, a beacon of hope, and a beacon of glory. Let us pray.